Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. You can be seated. It's a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord today. would ask you, if you will, to also remember this morning that in addition to our children's ministry, we have a starting points class that will be going on this uh, throughout, throughout the duration of this um, this month and uh, for some of our newest members of our church and so let's just ask the Lord to touch them and strengthen them today amen so that we can uh, break off just some pieces of the word of God into their heart and their life and help them to get established in the way of the Lord so we want to pray and ask God to touch them and minister to them this morning and uh, we have a, a lot going on so let's pray that God will just allow while we're we're all working together that the Lord will just allow his grace and his power and presence to touch their lives. It's an honor to be here today and to feel his presence. And, and so this, the month of May, we're starting a brand new series in the month of May. And uh, we're gonna be teaching for the next uh, four Sundays up on the subject of grace-filled families. And uh, I, I really enjoy talking about the family and the family structure and how important it is. Um, and every family, no matter who they are, where they come from, every family is less than perfect. Every family has its flaws. <clears throat> and uh, But I'm thankful for the grace of God that he gives us and he helps us and he sustains us. And so I'm thankful for the grace of the Lord. And so before you just waste too much of your life wishing that you had been born into another family because you're thinking about all the peril and the problems of your family. I, I will promise you that, uh, that the other family perhaps you're longing to get to or be like or that they've got problems as well. I remember meeting a lady many years ago and, and uh, my wife and I were, uh, we'd met her for the first time and we were talking and she, she made a comment, a statement I've never forgotten. And uh, so as we began to, to we were being introduced to one another, as we began to talk, we found out that we had a, f a few friends and things in common and uh, we kind of knew one another, I guess, indirectly. And, and uh, so she kind of smiled in just a moment because uh, of, just because of some of the portions of her family we knew, she said, "I'm gonna make a deal with you." She said, "I won't shake your my I won't shake your family tree too hard if you won't shake mine too hard." <laughs> and uh, you never know what's gonna fall when you shake a family tree. So we're going to be talking about grace-filled families. Grace-filled families in the book of Genesis. Let's turn to the book of Genesis, chapter three and verse sixteen, and uh, that's where we'll take our text from this morning and uh, for the next little while let's just talk about a very familiar family the first family and so many of their problems and perils um, we're um, already acquainted with 
associated with on many levels, but let's talk about it again. The Bible says in Genesis 3.16, unto the woman he said, talking about Eve, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also in thistles shall bring forth, it shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. It was never his intention to fail, that is no doubt. Perhaps the idea of falling or failing had never even crossed his mind. He had been created by God in his own image. And yet, despite a life filled with perfection, Adam experienced one of the greatest failures known to man in an atmosphere of absolute perfection. He failed. And so if Adam failed in the midst of perfection, we can only understand what we are facing today. And, uh, but yet, despite a life that had, had offered him a, a level playing field, to say the least, he experienced failure. Likewise, she was the first woman. She had been formed from the rib taken from the first man. She was indeed bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And like the first man, she too was created perfect. And like her husband, it was never her intention to fall. We move to the third character in scripture. He was the firstborn. But there was a difference now. Unlike his parents, when he entered the scene, things by now were somewhat chaotic. Something terrible had happened and perfection was no longer a reality. Paradise had been replaced by chaos and the earth was filled, according to scripture, with thorns and thistles. It was not easy living in this new world. It took a lot of sweat and toil and labor just to get by, just to exist. Things were quite different than what his parents told him it used to be. No doubt it was difficult for him to understand how things used to be, just like you and I. We could not picture a life that does, doesn't have any stress or a life that doesn't have any problems. We don't know anything about that. As a matter of fact, even when we think about thorns and thistles, we have no idea what it would be like to live in a world absent those things because that's all we've ever known. It was difficult for him to understand no doubt, how did my parents make such a mess of everything? It wasn't long, however, before he made a mess of things in his own life as well. He began to follow that same path. I have to think that Adam and Eve had to have warned him and explained how their poor choices had led to where they are today. And so in, in spite of a voice of reason and a voice of guidance, a, a voice to kind of stand that that had fallen back into its rightful place. Despite that, he still made his own mistakes. As the story unfolds, the firstborn son committed the first crime. It was yet another 
instance of firsts that are, are many in this story. The first moments of despair in this few verses of scripture, the first heartache, the first regret, the first act of vengeance, the first sacrifice, the first occasion of false religion, the first occasion of self-righteousness, and perhaps there's a few more bullet points that could be added to this list of first. But hope was not lost, and I think that's the good news today, that hope was not lost. The story includes also the introduction for the first time of grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. I'm thankful for grace. The apostle Paul said, and we could all echo, I am what I am by the grace of God. All of us are filled with imperfections and our families are certain, <clears throat> certainly marked with imperfections, but we are what we are by the grace of God. To be sure, the decisions that we make in life have consequences. Sometimes we can't understand how far-reaching they are. Amen, there is the law of unintended consequences. There are sometimes things are set in motion. We didn't ever intend to be right here where we are. Good decisions typically result in good outcomes, just like bad decisions typically result in bad outcomes. And so if life teaches us anything at all, it teaches us that how we live really matters because we are planting seed every day, every day. I've often said, and I, and I say it sincerely, that uh, even uh, though I understand that the law of the harvest says that you reap whatever you sow, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's the law of the harvest. And I also understand that in addition to that, there have been many times in my life, I believe I have reaped a few things I didn't sow. Because it was the consequences of a harvest that was sown before me. And so I've had to walk, some, so when you think about that and then you think about that we have to reap what we sow in our own life and then when we think about that what we're sowing today is gonna to affect the lives ahead of us, we should live soberly and righteously understanding that the decisions that I make today are not going to end. It's not gonna be made in a vacuum. They're gonna continue on and on and on. So much of our present lives whatever that may be, our income, the level of education, our health, and the list again could go on and on, is directly related to decisions that we have made in our past. Wherever we are today is generally by decisions that we've made in our past. There's probably some exceptions to that rule, but we get the point. But many people do not want to admit that where I am today is due to my own life. It's easier to blame somebody else if we could just kind of dig around and find somebody else to blame this on and then we never have to take personal responsibility. And, uh, but it's, I think it's imperative to understand that for the most part, we are where we are because of decisions that we are making in the past and even decisions that we're making today. And so it's a reflection of what we have done in the past. Galatians 6 and 7 the Bible talks about reaping what we've sown, that law of the harvest. And so if you sow some things, you're going to reap some things. I've said it often, and I don't say this just to have a fill-in word, but I say it because it, impacts, it impacted my life when I heard it, and I want it to impact yours every time that you hear it. But uh, Brother Barnes, a great friend of mine who pastors in South Florida, he, he, he is... Uh, 
a Jamaican man and has a very strong accent. I can't dare say this exactly like he says it, but he says, brethren, when you push one bean in the ground, you never just get one bean back. And so we have to be very, very careful because when you push one thing into the soil, you're gonna reap way more than you ever put into the soil. And uh, that's both negatively and positively, of course, but uh, some, some people... Uh, the Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 6 and 31, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now that's a wonderful principle to live by and, and it would really answer a lot of questions as to how to resolve a lot of conflict. How would you like it to be resolved if it were you? How would you like this to be handled if it were you? And uh, you know, I always appreciate if there is some, some sort of an issue or a problem, if maybe you're in a business and something kind of went wrong, I appreciate whoever, whoever is in the customer service part of that, if they just kind of put themselves in your shoes. And if they'll put themselves in your shoes, then many, many times you can reach a resolution that fits everybody. But when someone just completely extracts themselves out of the equation and you're just left feeling like it's just your problem and your problem alone, uh, it's, it's, that's another story. I think most people, I think for the most part, again, there's exceptions, I think for the most part, people really do try to treat you like they would like to be treated. I mean, what you sow, that's what you reap. And so if you don't like what you're reaping, then you might wanna consider what you're planning. <laughs> If, if, you're, if you don't like that, then you're gonna have to take that into consideration because what you give impacts what you get in many, many respects. And what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, that impacts the way we think. It truly does. And what you think impacts what you actually do or carry out in your life. And so your life, the way it is right now, is largely what it is because of decisions that we have made in our past. It brought us to where we are because all decisions have consequences. You know, I'm not trying to paint anybody's world gray because I think when we say all decisions have consequences, we've made some good decisions that had some good consequences. Bad decisions that have bad consequences. But all of our decisions have consequences. And so our failures certainly have consequences as well because poor decisions never, or at least seldom, stand alone. Poor decisions are gonna bring somebody else into that. One failure leads to more failure. Seldom does one bad decision end with just that one bad decision. It leads to another, to another, to another. Generally, they give birth to a series of consequences and we can see that in the lives of many people. But certainly at the center of our story today is a man by the name of Adam. Adam reaped the consequences of his failure. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, would, if we put it in our, in our language, we would say they had it made. They absolutely had it made. They lived in an environment of perfection, there was no fighting, no betrayal. There was no indifference. Everything was great. But after the fall, everything changed. Instead of life in paradise, life was filled with heartache, trouble and toil and labor. The ground was hard, according to scripture, overrunning with thorns and thistles. And this is how you're gonna get your food. And so it's a constant battle. With much sweat and with much toil, Adam labored. And things had not just changed for Adam, but they had changed for Eve as well. Eve now reaped the results of her failure. Because of the fall, Eve experienced the pain of childbirth. 
as well as the pain that followed childbirth, the, the pain that brought by the actions of her children. And that's not all. As a result of the fall, the marriage relationship, which was originally built in harmony, designed on the foundation of harmony, became filled with conflict. The consequences of sin, however, were not limited to sweat or toil or pain of childbirth or, or conflict within the home. The consequences of sin did not end, didn't stop with all that. Amen. There was something far more devastating that was about to unfold. Because of the fall, Adam and Eve lost their communication and their fellowship with God. Amen. And so it, it just goes on and on and on and on. And so it doesn't just affect us and what we do doesn't just affect our lives here and now. They became aware of their sin because for the first time, they were ashamed. The first time we read about them, the Bible says in Genesis chapter two that they were naked and not ashamed. The next time we read about them after the fall, they had made for themselves clothing of fig leaves and in addition to that, they hid themselves from the presence of God. Because of that, they lost their the sight of their purpose. They lost all of that. They were created to glorify God and enjoy him, but now instead of their focus being on God, their primary focus shifted to self, primarily self-preservation. After the fall, it became a, a dominant factor in their lives. It's doubtful that Adam and Eve understood the consequences of the decision that they were making that day. It's just one piece of fruit, what could it hurt? It's just one small thing. There would be no way that they could have ever known at that moment exactly how far reaching that decision would be. All of us have made decisions perhaps uh, similarly that we have made a decision without having any idea that when you move this, it's gonna shift so many other things in our life and in our world. They had no way to know how far reaching those consequences were going to be. However, Adam and Eve's failure changed the course of human history. Can you imagine that? The course of human history was forever tilted because of their decision. It didn't just change life for mankind, but it changed the environment in which their children were going to be born. Amen. It was gonna be a much more difficult for them than it had been for the, the parents. It was into this world that Cain and Abel was born. Things were about to get even more difficult. Cain and his brother Abel offered up a sacrifice to worship the Lord. And the Bible says that Abel's sacrifice was commended by God, but Cain's sacrifice was rejected by God. So instead of making changes to his sacrifice and trying again to be more pleasing in the sight of God, Cain decided to lure his younger brother into the field and kill him. And so we have the first murder. And so things were now falling further and further and further from center. And as you may expect, the con there were consequences with the decision that Cain made. As a result of that, Cain reaped the results of his failure. And so we see how this kind of goes on and on and on and on. He was driven from the place that he was living and instead of farming as he was, uh, was obviously his natural strength, Cain spent the rest of his life 
living, here's what the scripture calls it, as a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. In other words, if we were to put that in our language, that he was a homeless man, a wanderer. He had nothing to call his own, and that's how he spent the rest of his life. It never crossed the minds of Adam and Eve that what, what they were doing that day, standing in the garden, saying, what could it hurt? What possibly could it hurt? When they heard the voice of the enemy saying, it's not gonna be that bad, they couldn't weigh how far this was gonna reach into their future and into the future of their children. This decision was going to affect their children. It was going to affect their grandchildren. It was gonna affect even all of us today. And so when parents fail, we have to understand that this has a serious negative impact upon the family. It doesn't just stop here. You've heard me say this many times because I've heard this many times. I've heard people, not just church people, but just people in general that say, you know, it doesn't matter what we're doing. It's not going to affect our children. And I've heard many, many times, my wife and I both, children are resilient. They'll bounce back. What a foolish foolish statement they're going to bounce back it'll all be all right it'll all come out in the wash not so quickly not so quickly amen please don't draw that conclusion and just feel like this is going to be a big magic eraser for the mistakes that we make in our life and so we see this in Adam and Eve's failure their failures negatively impacted the lives of their children and it is just that accurate today. Our failures can negatively impact the lives of our children and unfortunately, this happens too often. It plays out somewhere in the, in, the, in, in the overall climate of our world. It plays out almost each and every day. Almost each and every day. Amen. There are several places in the Bible where the scripture talks about generational curses. We can read about that in Exodus. We can read about it in Numbers. We can read about it in Deuteronomy. And these passages of scripture talk about the curse to the third and the fourth generation. Now, I wanna maybe just pause here for just a moment and, and uh, talk about this. Some people believe that this is a literal curse, that God is gonna punish the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. Uh, but I, I believe that if you go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, I believe Ezekiel clears up that misgiving there. Amen. I, I don't think that it's a generational curse that somebody just cannot get out from under. And so again, if you go to Exodus 18, I think there's a description of that here. I think what we're talking about here in these passages of scripture, the bigger picture reveals that we're setting a path or we are potentially setting the trajectory, so to speak, of, of, uh, uh, for our families and for our children. Now, I don't believe it's something that people can't get out from under because it is a curse. Everybody all right? <laughs> I, don't think it, I don't think it's something that you can't get out from under because it is some type of a curse, but we're talking about the fact that children are most likely going to fall in the footsteps, fall in the, follow the footprints or the footsteps of the patterns that are readily available to them. Amen, it's gonna become, some, every family has a culture and, and so they can just kind of get caught up in that culture. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a, the curse of, a, of the sins of the father are naturally passed down 
from one generation to another, not necessarily by the hand of God, but by example. Amen, that's my point. In other words, the environment in which somebody lives in, the environment of sin, the environment of the sin of a parent, so to speak, is likely to be repeated in the lives of their children. And so if a young boy or a young girl just grows up and they grow up in an environment of vulgar talking and cursing and carrying on, it's very likely, just like they learn how to spell and just like they learn how to read, they're gonna learn how to insert those words in, into, the, into their everyday language. And unfortunately, this happens over and over. One generation passes along things that should have never been passed on. It should have stopped. Statistically, just to share a few things, statistically, children that are raised by one or more alcoholic parents are four times more likely to become alcoholics than children that are raised by parents who are not addicted to alcohol. Now, this is not a curse. This is not saying that because your mother drank, your, your father drank, that, 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 that the children of those parents are just gonna be cursed and that's gonna be their deal. It's what they're exposed to. It's what they're exposed to. Interestingly, uh, research has found that negative behaviors within the family are commonly passed on to the next generation. As a matter of fact, according to some statistics, it generally takes three to four generations before some negative behavior can be broken. And so what we're doing is vitally important. To every parent here, I'll, I'll just use a very common and simple illustration. To every parent here, we can relate to this, that, that when your children first start talking, that can be, that's a wonderful thing because some of their first few words are dada or mama or whatever. Those, so we're, we really enjoy those first few words, but those words that follow, they get a little frightening because they just sound like uh, they're parroting what they've been hearing. And all of a sudden, mother just hears herself in living color. And daddy hears himself in living color. And sometimes it's not so cute. And so when they watch us melt down and just pitch a fit and throw ourselves on the floor, well, that's how they handle problems. Amen? I didn't mean to go there. <laughs> but according to how tight the atmosphere got, maybe it was a good thing I did. But, but uh, we, we, we have to understand somebody's watching and, and how you deal with something, that's how you're gonna teach them to deal with that. And so many examples of how wrong behavior creates a condition in which behavior is likely to be handed down from one generation to the next. But there is good news because although the power of this generational curse is a powerful force, what we have to understand is that God's grace is so much more powerful than that. And that no matter what you were raised in today, no matter what kind of atmosphere you were raised in, no matter how many mistakes your mom may have made or your dad made, do you know that grace today is so sufficient that we can turn that around? Can I tell you this morning that somebody needs to stop the madness? Somebody needs to say it's gonna stop right here. It's gonna end right here. As for me and my house, we're gonna change. We're gonna serve the Lord and we're gonna make some differences for the generation to come. In Exodus 20 and six, God promises to show love to a thousand generations who love him and keep his commandments. Amen, he promised to show that love to, to a thousand generations. In other words, God's grace lasts so much 
much longer than his wrath. The devil is a destroyer and he would love nothing better than to destroy the lives and homes but because of grace, Satan cannot win if we are determined to let the grace of God prevail. Amen. God's grace can be seen at work within uh, within the first family. God's grace can be seen in his promises. In the book of Genesis 3, 14 and 15, Adam and Eve were promised a seed that would bruise the head of the serpent. Amen, this has continued and it is happening and will continue to happen. Amen, we are triumphant. There were some negative ramifications, but he didn't leave them to die. He made a way of life. Jesus' death on the cross was not the defeat of good. I mean, it was the beginning of the end for Satan. At first, Satan thought he had won. Three days of silence, I've won. I have won. Three days of being perplexed. The disciples, the doubt that no doubt had not only affected the hearts of the disciples, but I believe the heart of the community as well. He thought he had won. But when Jesus came out of that grave, Satan's fate was, was sealed and he will never, never win. And I just want to tell you today that grace is greater than sin. Amen. Where, where sin doth abound, grace doth more abound. Amen. I know that we're living in a sinful world, but it's always been a sinful world. We can talk about the perversions of 2018. We can talk about the perversion, the perverted lifestyles in the 21st century. But let me tell you something. If you go back and read the book of Genesis... <laughs> it's always been, it's always been. Perhaps uh, technology has made it more, more knowledgeable and, and the world is more connected now, but you see, the vile nature of humanity has always been there. And I'm thankful that where sin doth abound, grace doth the more abound. I'm thankful for the more grace. And so yes, it is a dark world, but we're serving a living God. Yes, it is a sinful world, but we're serving a God that gives us the ability to live above that sin. Amen. When Jesus returns to the earth, he's gonna bind Satan and throw him forever into a lake of fire. Not only were Adam and Eve promised a seed that would bruise the head of Satan, but Cain was promised that he would not be killed. Amen. Cain was cursed. Absolutely, for murdering his brother. He wandered the earth as a vagabond the rest of the days of his life, but God did not end his story with a curse. Instead, grace had the final word. And I believe the same is true for all of us as humanity. We are sinners and all of us have made mistakes, but in spite of our failures, God's grace has revealed to us his promises and his promises are yea and amen. And you know, this morning I'm thankful for the biblical examples of men and women who successfully lived a victorious life in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for every biblical example. But can I tell you today that all of our examples are not hidden away in this book. But we are in a room today filled with men and women who are they themselves wonderful examples of being able to triumph over tragedy, of being able to rise against the, the wind and the adversity of poor decisions that were made perhaps by their parents or maybe their own poor decisions because we're all guilty. But God has helped us to live and to rise above that. I'm glad to be among heroes this morning. You may not feel too heroic, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm glad that we're among some heroes today. 
Praise God. We have a promise. First John, first John chapter, first uh, John chapter one and verse nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." Grace doesn't leave us alone to die in our sin. Not at all. Grace is there to lift us and to help us and to correct our path. And I will tell you today that not only we are talking about, I understand to some degree we're talking about biological children who are following in our footsteps, but there is, a, there is a much broader, a much broader picture that we need to consider that it's not just your biological children that are being affected by the decisions you're, ma- you're making or that I am making, but others that are watching us. <clears throat> I, I, um, several years ago at one of our men's conferences in Apopka, Brother Anthony Mangan shared an illustration that I, I've repeated it a few times through the years, but it was just something about the way he said it that day, I, maybe the moment, the atmosphere that kind of just froze a picture of that in my mind. When he and Sister Mangan first started pastoring, they pastored a church in Plano, Texas. And he said being in Texas, it was just almost imperative that he owned a pair of cowboy boots. So he had a pair of cowboy boots and he said he looked up one day and his daughter was standing in his cowboy boots and his boots went, the top of his boots went all the way up to her hip. I mean, she was just standing and so you can kind of get that picture. And, And she's kind of walking along in those boots trying to trudge along And it was just a moment frozen in time for him because he began to realize that in more ways than one, she is walking in my shoes. She's gonna follow the path. Hallelujah. She's following the path. And so I I better make sure, I better make sure that that I walk a clean life, a clean path and live a clean life. And and if the Lord will help me on Father's Day, I believe God has, has spoken to my heart uh, something about Father's Day along this line. But we need to understand that we may not be able to look around us and to literally see maybe somebody standing in our shoes or standing in our boots, but I'll promise you someone is watching your life. They're watching your life. Not They're not just watching me because I'm the pastor or the preacher, but they're watching you. Amen, they're walking, they're gonna walk. They're gonna do just like you. They're gonna walk just like you. And so it's, it's so important, it's so important that we emulate, that we give the best example that we possibly can of how to resolve conflicts in our life and how that we handle even successes in our life. Amen, I pray that conflicts don't take us to the bottom, but you know, sometimes success can shoot us right out the top and somebody is looking at how we're going to handle this and I pray, Lord, that you would help me in everything and in every way to be as balanced as I possibly can before you. Why? Because someone is watching. Someone's watching. So before you just say what you want to say, Think about the ears that are listening. And before you just do what you want to do, think about the eyes that are watching because somebody's gonna repeat that. And it may not be so pretty when you see it repeated. Amen, God help us today. We have a tremendous responsibility to make sure that the hand of God helps us because that hand is gonna to touch the life of someone else. First John two and one says, if any man sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father. I'm, I'm thankful that we have a way to make wrong right. Grace comes alongside, helps us in ways that we can't help ourselves. God helps us to have victory over things that we maybe thought we would never get the victory over. We may have messed things up, but I'm so thankful that grace can help us pick up those pieces and put it back together. Amen, because you see, no one is immune from the need of grace. No one. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter how many wrongs we may have avoided in our life. We all need grace. Grace, what a tremendous hope we find in grace. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and our need for grace will never be reduced until the trumpet sounds. Amen, we need God's grace to help us. You know, it's amazing how uh, so many times the, the, the lives of, of families can both negatively and positively influence so many generations. It is probably staggering to our minds today how many people in our world have never ever worked a secular job because they've been raised in an environment that taught them somebody else will take care of this. It's the truth. And so we can't really blame this generation because this was the path they were shown. So we can't just lay it all at their feet. We need to dig a little bit further down, some more layers beyond because someone else taught them. And then it is amazing today how many, how many people that have greatly impacted perhaps just even our nation and, and our world. When we think about just a, a few weeks ago how that one of our former first ladies passed from this life in Barbara Bush. And I'm sure that many of you perhaps even knew this before now or before her passing, but to know that how deeply politics had affected her life. And that was it, her great-great-grandfather, I think it was, was the 14th president. And then her husband would be the 41st president. And then a son would be the 43rd president. Those things don't happen by accident. Amen. Somebody was leaving a path and a path that someone else followed to lead nations. Amen. Influence. It went a long, long, long way. So as we conclude today, we read about another man in scripture who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. So if we just, if we were reading a book and that was the title of the chapter, A Man After God's Own Heart, we we're gonna say, man, I, need to, I wanna dig into this. Because if it's a man after God's own heart, I wanna see what he's doing because I wanna be a man after God's own heart. He was a very humble man, a very reverent man. He trusted in the Lord, he loved the Lord. He was devoted to the Lord. He was obedient to the Lord. He was faithful to the Lord. These are wonderful check marks by your name now, aren't they? And it was 
all of these things that led him to the title, A Man After God's Own Heart. And yet, when we study the life of this man, we understand that there was far more than just humility and reverence. There was far more than just devotion and obedience. There was far more than just faithfulness. But we know that this man also had failures in his life. Tremendous failures. A man who was a king that should have been in battle, but he just stayed home for whatever reason which led to an act of adultery with a lady by the name of Bathsheba, which led to the murder of, and she became pregnant with his child. And so because of that, he justified murdering her husband. And so now we have missing battle when you should have been in battle. And one decision, bad decision, leads to another bad decision, to another bad decision, to another bad decision. I was talking with a man some time ago in one of our prison ministries who had made the poor decision to try drugs early on in his life. And that poor decision led to many other poor decisions. Because of that, he couldn't keep a job, but he needed money to buy more drugs. So the poor decision to try drugs led him to another poor decision to say, well, I'll just rob this little store and get some money and then I can supply my habit. And in the course of robbing that store, someone lost their life. Never, ever intended for that to happen. And because of that, now he is serving the most of his life, if not a life sentence. Because one poor decision gave birth to another poor decision that gave birth to another poor decision that gave birth to another poor decision. Now, I'm just gonna beg you to please don't fold your arms and think you're too good for that. Please, I beg of you, don't cross your arms and think your children will be above that because it can happen. It can happen to anyone at any time. I'm not trying to be use scare tactics this morning, but I am trying to use reality because we just never know. We just never know where something's gonna run off the road and how long it will be before we can get that back on the road. And so that doesn't sound like a man after God's own heart when we think about David and these descriptions. So what are the, qual- what, what are the qualities of a man after God's own heart? I think that to answer that, question holds great ramifications in our own lives because not one of us in this room are perfect. All of us are in need of grace. And so we can learn something about David's story because along with the fact that he was humble and reverent and respectful and devoted and a worshiper, he was also a man who knew the value of repentance. And so when he was confronted with his sin, not like Saul, when Samuel said, what meaneth the bleeding of these sheep? And Saul, he starts pinning this on everybody else. Well, the people, it was the people, it was the people. It was this, it was that, it was the other. But when David was confronted with his sin, right then, right there, on the spot, David repented. However, that doesn't negate David from the law of the harvest. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Amen, as a matter of fact, whenever Nathan came to David and told him about 
in this parable of a, a man who had stolen a, a, another man, poor man's sheep, that David, David said, let him pay four times for that. And that was the law. That was, he found that, he said that, and that was a law predicated and, and given to us back in the book of Exodus. So this wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. David wasn't just saying, well, let him pay four times. That was the law. And so when you study David's life, he didn't just lose the child that was born in this, in this extramarital affair, but he also lost three more sons. He paid himself four times. He pronounced his own judgment. Amen. He cut his own switch in that regard. But the story doesn't end with tragedy. It ends with victory because grace made the difference and it's still making the difference today. He lost children, but in the course of all of this, Many of you know that Solomon was born and Solomon represents wisdom. And so here it is today. If, if in the course of our mistakes, we can get on course, we may have some payments to make on that. Amen? But God's grace can help us to get back on track. And if wisdom can be born, if Solomon can be born, if we can learn from those mistakes, we are going to end that in a, we're going to end, we're going to win in the end. If I can just say it that way, if we can learn from those mistakes. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost to give us the guidance that we need. And I just want to admonish you here today. Amen. If you're off track, there's not a better day than right now to get back on track. And let the Spirit of God breathe hope and life back into our lives. Would you lift your hands together? And can we just thank the Lord for his word this morning. His word. What a great thing. What a great opportunity to have his word. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.